Welcome back to Disturbing Interests. We're going to throw a little trigger warning on this one because we are going to be talking a lot about drug use and abuse, and we know that can be problematic for some of our listeners that are in recovery. So if that's you, just maybe skip this one, check out the next one, and we'll see you on the flip side. Welcome back to Disturbing Interests, everyone. I am Regina King, your evil queen, and sitting in her own beautiful house is my ever-disturbed partner. Hello, I'm Lynn, your docent of distancing. Double masking. Oh, yeah, you are. You are, like, double bagging up every time you leave the house. It is amazing. Shit, if I had a bunny suit, like a containment suit, I would wear it. I would. I would. You know, I wish I would have known. I could have got it for you for Christmas. Damn. Damn, well, I got goggles now, too, so I'm like I'm like the road warrior leaving the house. It's excellent. Mr. Meow has a full face shield nice. that he wears. Yeah, yeah, we, we are definitely rocking that end-of-the-world aesthetic over here. Because, you know, the new variant didn't come to play. It came to slay. <laughs> oh, that is so sad and so true. Oh, God. It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's the end times. Good times. Yeah. Anyway, before we dive into things and we talk about where we've been, um, I kind of want to go over something, jump into something uh, before we go into tonight's case and all of that. We have a new sponsors and it's definitely one of my favorite. Uh, I'm excited to tell you about the Damn Podcast. It's a new dark humor, true crime podcast that I know you'll love as much as I do. They've got about six great episodes up already for you to dig into. And I spent uh, pretty much the whole weekend catching up because, you know, what else was I going to do on the show? And I'm thoroughly impressed with their ability to not only make me laugh, but provide really well-researched material. It's like a new take on true crime, kind of like we are. They're both funny, refreshing, but they go into darker and weird stuff, too. And uh, I just finished their episode on Dahmer, who you can tell is really one of their favorite serial killers, because I thought I knew just about everything there was to know about him, but they had a really fresh, unique take, and it was really fascinating. Did they have recipes? (laughs) Well, you'll have to listen to find out now, won't you? But uh, the banter between the hosts, it kind of reminded me of our banter. I really liked it. It it feels like you're sitting down to have a beer with a few buddies and talk about your favorite subject or our favorite subject, true crime and weird shit. So, yeah, it's good stuff. But listen to the damn podcast on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. I'll also have a link put up in our show notes, but definitely go listen. They're, They're pretty great. Excellent. Yes, yes. Because we can all use some uplifting or at least diverting media right now. I think we could. Yes. I think diverting is the best way to call it. Yes, diverting. Um, Speaking of... Perverting media. Sure. (laughs) Diverting. Where have we been? In hell. We've been in hell. Yeah, yeah. With the rest of you. It hasn't been great. So on my end, 
my eyes went buggy and I couldn't see anything. And let me tell you what, um, you have to be able to see to look at wavelengths and, and files and edit and make sound sound better. Um, well, at least when you're using a visible editing tool. And I could not do that. I'm not saying that the um, sighted or the people who are unsighted can't edit. I'm sure they can and probably a whole lot better than me. But I'm telling you that I cannot. Yeah, so you did not have the equipment to no. to do that. No. I was so sick to from the migraine that I was walking around with all the time. But um, my eyes are better now, and um, I have new glasses. I may have to have surgery again next year, but I'll be okay. So um, eyes are better, and let's see what happened next. Oh, yeah, then I fell down a hill. Yeah, you had to double down. You were like, mm-hmm. well, you know, I got my, my sensory processing issues dealt with. Let me take out some limbs. Yeah, yeah, um, and that is what I did. I tore some connectivity tissue in my shoulder, um, popped it out of place, had to pop back in place, and pulled like four or five muscles all in my back. But you should have seen me luging down this freaking hill, like, I, like I, I screaming like a girl. There was this little old guy who was probably eighty at the top of the hill. I took Rocky down with me. We came home covered in mud. Like mud's good for the skin, but I do not recommend it as a colonic. It is not here for colonic purposes. Let me tell you. No matter what Gwyneth Paltrow says, it's not. No, it's not. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's a trap. So yeah, that's what happened to me there. And uh, then I had a friend die of COVID. So I'm I'm taking that kind of hard. And oh, let's see. We had an attempted coup. That just kind a, of just a coup. A little coup. Yeah, just attempted. Look, you uh, can have a little coup sometimes as a treat. Apparently, it's yeah, it, yeah. Jesus it, Christ. I mean, I love a good conspiracy theory, but just fucking stop it. Just stop it, America. Christ, get off the Q sauce. It sent me into a full-blown episode. And let me tell you what, we are always talking about mental health care and self-care and how important it is. Guys, it's important. You, you know your flags. I saw my, my red flags being waved like crazy. And so I said, okay, I'm, I'm, I've got to get a new therapist. My therapist wanted to see me in person and didn't want to do teledoc visits. And I said, oh, no, no thank you. No, no. Yeah, no, no, Fluffy. No, no. So um, got a new therapist and um, don't know what I think of her yet, to be quite frank. I think she might run a cult. Oh. In Hawaii, I, well, at least it's like a cult in a nice place. I, I <laughs> cult. In they Hawaii. all. They everyone who lives on their commune has an acre of land, and they're really into growing beans. Look, I guys, I don't know. Okay, I mean, so far her methods kind of they. I mean, they check out with like all other therapists, but I've only seen her once, so it's not like. What I'm saying is if I start talking about moving to, uh, moving to Hawaii and grew, uh, growing beans, just stop me. Just uh, yeah. No, if, I, if this next episode is me going, I'm sorry, Regina can't be with us today because she's moved to Hawaii to grow beans. We'll, we'll, we'll now know why. Yes. Cult. 
That I mean, I guess life. that's better than like shooting up a pizza place because you think that they're like blood drinking pedophile Hillary Clinton clones in the basement. But I guess the beans beans are better than that. But maybe just no cult. Maybe not a, any any cult. Yeah. I'm not even once. That. No cult. Not even once. Yeah. No. No cult. No cults. No cults. Or at that least like go. go join Ramtha because that's like you know like within an hour and a half drive from here. If you're going to join a cult, maybe make it local so you don't have to like relocate. I don't know. Just yeah, but maybe just don't in general. <laughs> it uh, yeah. I'm 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 just trying real hard not to join a cult. That is. You know what? That is my resolution for this year. Excellent. Get out of it without being in a cult. That's all yeah. I want. Just survive 2020 was my resolution for last year. Survive 2021 is my resolution for this year. Without being in a cult. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if the cult is like Netflix, canned wine and jammies, you might get me there. But uh, otherwise, no, no. If it's a cult that requires me to leave my house, fuck you, no. Not going to happen. Not right I now. I have to buy new um, leggings. Like uh, I, I bought a shit ton of like skull and neat pattern leggings last year around this time. Not even around this time. It was like a few months later. And um, uh, tank tops. And I realized I have to buy like a whole new set because that's all I've worn this year. And I've worn them out. <laughs> All my clothes, because I, I like bought a bunch. Like there was a sale at like I think Torrid or something like that, and they were all on like comfy, cozy, you know, nappy type stuff. Okay, I'll get those. They're half off, and they're all in various shades of like gray. And I look like a prisoner. Like I just even my wardrobe looks sad, depressed, and in quarantine. Everything I wear looks like well, it doesn't have a belt, so she can't hurt herself. So I'm kind of hoping to maybe up that game a little in the coming year. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. My my closet and my wardrobe has gotten so weird this year. I'm either dressed like a fairy princess in a fucking purple renaissance gown, purple wig, and sparkly makeup with a, a full crown. Well, I say princess, but let's face it. I rock that shit like the evil queen I am. Or I'm in a leopard sparkly onesie. Or I don't know. I'm in shiny bell bottoms. Or I am in sweatpants that are like fur lined. There is no in between with me anymore. I am an absolute dumpster fire in the excessive. Or a dumpster fire in the, oh, she looks like she might be homeless. Like... There is no in-between. It's either my eyes are shot to shit or I'm falling down a hill. I don't know. I don't know anymore. I just look like I'm on a day pass, pretty much, all the time. (laughs) I'm on a day pass. I do have good news. I mean, it's only exciting to me, but it's, it's exciting. Guess who owns an etching press? That's right. Who has two thumbs? And a, and a giant steel machine that we had to drag two floors down. We had to drive to to Portland in the middle of a pandemic to pick up. We rented a U-Haul. Like, it was a whole thing. And I will say, like, for a printing press, it's very petite. But printing presses <laughs> are fucking large. So, you know, I'm very impressed that our, our, our 
deconditioned middle-aged bodies that have been getting no exercise because we've just been depressed and in the middle of a pandemic, we were still able to haul this fucker down in chunks and set it up in the basement without permanent damage. So go us. But the good news is that once we get a few more things done and together, I can actually like make the art I like to make again. So maybe I will be less of a miserable sack of shit. Who knows? I can hope, you know? Yay. Yeah, when I fell down that hill, I uh, messed my right arm up. And my right arm is my painting arm. So I am a miserable sack of shit right now. (laughs) Well, hopefully it'll heal and you can, you know, or you have, maybe you can go like Daniel Day-Lewis and start painting with your feet, like from that movie. Yeah, yeah, no, No? none of us want that. None of us want that. However, I will be calling a PT tomorrow because uh, screw this, it hurts too bad. Well, hopefully they'll have some things you can do to not be, you know, well, what hump, you know, from um, Young Frankenstein. I hope. <laughs> I hope. Oh, uh, isn't that the gill? Uh, so what have you got for us today? Well, I have a disco bloodbath when club kids go bad. Next uh, on Jenny Jones. Yes. Man, this is a throwback to like 90s. Yes, it is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I feel the nostalgia and the true crime coming at me. Oh, oh, sweet, sweet, dark nostalgia. Oh, yeah. So, but first, but first, let me crack into the ceremonial can of canned wine. In this case, it's a canned cocktail. It's one you sent me. Yeah, it it is. It is the copper can, Moscow Mule. It doesn't have any special K in it, but it does have uh, lime and vodka and... um, ginger beer so it says bring in the quality to the can since 2016 so excellent so here we go let's just crack this bad boy open let's see so who had the quality before 2016 i wonder <laughs> i don't know maybe it was uh it was iron city beer that's one for you <laughs> pittsburghers mm. Ooh, this is nice this doesn't taste weird in, in any capacity and it's 10 percent alcohol per volume three shots per can Woohoo! this is gonna be a fun episode oh, so yeah. It, yeah. but it's gluten-free so we're good there <laughs> gluten-free i forgot the, to tell oh. you yeah that's a that's a, a bad boy right there that gluten-free. i got yeah. chock full of vodka gluten-free excellent mm. Well, it's good because we're about to go on a drug-fueled nightmare nightclub hopping freak out time machine trip to the late 80s, early 90s, and the era of the club kids. And this was actually, uh, I I got into doing this one because the person we're going to talk about in this particular episode died, I, I wouldn't say unexpectedly, right on Christmas of last year. 2020. And I was like, oh my God, why did we never talk about this before? Because I was so into the club kids. I totally wanted to be a cool club kid. So like we would visit my stepbrother who was living in Hoboken um, and going to NYU when I was a teenager. And I like wanted to be Diane Brill. Oh my God. I picked up her book, Boobs, Boys, and High Heels. And I was just like, how to be the queen of the night every night. And I wanted to be a nightclubber so bad, but (laughs) 
I was like a 16 year old dork from Pittsburgh. So that was not going to be happening. So yeah, I was just a little bit too young. I just missed that club kid, like real height. And it's probably they were real high. Because, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the circles I ran in, I still went out clubbing and stuff in San Francisco when I really shouldn't have. But but yeah, it could have it could have been so much worse if I was like 10 years older. Oh, yeah. I mean, in in retrospect, like I'm very glad that I did not get to be part of this because drugs are bad. uh, Okay, and you didn't necessarily have to be on drugs to be part of this scene, but. But you, you were. You were. But you were. Right? But you were. I mean, I loved raves. Like, in the 90s, I totally enjoyed raves. And I was generally not high. Like, I was, I'm a pretty squeaky clean, control freaky type person. So drugs always made me go, no, I don't think so. Because what the fuck is in that, you know? Although ketamine, the drug that we're going to talk about in the course of this, I actually apparently was shot up with ketamine as a child uh, when I went to the emergency room. I'll just take you on this quick tangent that involves small children vomiting blood before we get into this, just so you know that that's, that's the path we're going down. Apparently, when I was like two and a half, I, my mom gave me a carrot stick because that's nature's candy, and it's a healthy, good-for-you kind of snack, but then it tried to kill me. Uh, so I was eating this carrot stick and I, I, you know, you're toddling around, you're a little kid, and I must have tripped and hit my my chin on something while it was in my mouth. And the upshot was that it cut a big blood vessel under my tongue. So I toddle in and my mom's making dinner and I go, oh, I point at my mouth and my mom's like, you're fine because, you know, didn't expect what was about to happen. And, oh, mom, oh, oh, oh. and I wouldn't open my mouth. My mom was like, what is wrong? And I finally opened my mouth to say, owie. And I literally, it's like, bleh, like, a, like it was like the elevator doors from the shining opened in my face and a geyser <laughs> of blood. Just bleh. My mother is like, Oh shit. So she tries to get it the bleeding stop thinking, okay, maybe I just bit my tongue. And my mom is a veterinary technician. So she's used to, dealing with emergencies and she did not want to go to the emergency room because we you know we didn't have a car we, my dad had the only car in the family my parents were not getting along it was just a bad trip right so she's trying to get me to to you know here have a popsicle have some ice and it just is not stopping and I'm slowly getting paler and paler and my mom is like oh shit so she calls my dad and is like hey can you come home with the car we got to get the kid to, to the emergency room takes me to the emergency room and I will, I'm clinging to her and my dad like a spider monkey. And I'm tiny. Like I'm, I was a tiny little preemie kid. Like I didn't get a whole lot bigger and I, but I'm really like little and I'm just not open to my mouth for love nor money. Not going to do it. Not going to do it. Uh, swallowing. Meanwhile, all this blood and the doctor's like, uh, we're going to need to kind of sedate her. Uh, I'm going to give her something called ketamine. Do you know what that is? And my mom oh was like, Oh God. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Because, again, it's a very popular veterinary it's tranquilizer. It's a tranquilizer. It is a horse yeah. tranquilizer. Well, it's, it's used cats. They use it a lot in cats. And my mom is like, oh, I knew exactly what was going to happen whenever they shot you up. So the doctor comes up and jabs me in the butt with this syringe of ketamine. I have no memory of this. Thank God. I'm two and a half. And apparently I stiffen and just bloop and open my mouth and, again, just everywhere. So they take me in the back, and my mom is like, yeah, they were dumbasses. They're trying to suture that, and there's no way they're going to suture that under there. So they end up um, using styptic powder to chemically cauterize it, which is what she would have done in the first place. That's what you do when a dog rips a toenail. 
Uh, so yeah, veterinary medicine was used a lot on me as a child. I'm fine. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. Really. And so, you know, she, they get me all taken care of. My dad, meanwhile, Barry is fainting. My dad is trying to pass out in the, in the uh, lobby there in the waiting room because, uh, yeah, he doesn't deal well with medical situations. Uh, and so my mom, takes me back and they have us in this um, kind of quiet recovery room area. And they say, you know, she's going to wake up. And when she does, she's going to probably vomit. So my mom's like, oh yeah, I bet. And has this, you know, that uh, <laughs> the kidney pan there for me to bleh into. And this woman comes in that my mom kind of knew from the neighborhood. I think she was like the sister-in-law of my mom's high school English teacher, but she was this giant woman. My mom describes her as this giant woman. So I don't know if it was like Shrek. I don't know, but like a big giant woman. Uh, and we're all pretty small, so everyone is pretty giant to us. But my mom said this giant woman comes in, looks, pokes her head in and goes, and how is she doing? Oh my goodness. At which point, my eyes flutter. I open up my eyes and I vomit a torrent of blood into this kidney pan like like the fucking vampire exorcist. And this the giant woman almost passes out, like has turns green, grips the the door frame from almost passing out, watching me go full exorcist in here and just oh, kind of wow. staggers off down the hall. So that's that's my story of taking special K as I tried to kill myself with a carrot and take out a giant woman when I was two and a half. So good times. Good times. So clearly the drug that you want to take while clubbing, that's that's what I'm hearing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So shall we jump into this delightful tale? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm on a real bad trip, man, all the fucking time right now. And I'd love to come down, but I just fucking can't. We all can't. Dude, I mean, my yeah. therapist might be a cult leader. I think that sums up everything about yep. what's going on in my life right now. We are all pretty much trapped in this banana pants death cult we call America right now. Mm. And I figured, what the hell? Let's just set the Wayback Machine to a time where drug-fueled psychedelic insanity was, uh, you know, kind of fun. Until, well, it really fucking wasn't anymore. So, pull on your best ripped-up Lycra onesie, throw some glitter mascara all over your goddamn face, strap some enormous platform waffle stompers on your tootsies, and snuggle in, all you scrinks and scrottles, as I tell you the story of Michael Allig, the original party monster, and the club kid murder that rocked the downtown scene of New York City in the 90s. So, a nice young boy named Michael Alleg was born on April 29, 1966, in wholesome South Bend, Indiana, the very town that squeaky clean Mayor Pete Buttigieg governs. His childhood was, by all accounts, pretty much what you'd expect for an artsy gay kid in the Midwest in the 70s and early 80s. It was a magical time of trying to stay out of arm's reach of the local bullies who had a deep desire to beat the gay out of anyone who strayed outside the lines. And being smart and gay was definitely well outside the lines. Yep. Michael's dad was an American computer engineer, and his mom, Elke Alleg, was from the industrial port town of Bremerhaven in Germany. In the various documentaries that I've seen, she kind of reminds me of a slightly less unhinged version of my late mother-in-law, Hanalora. I mean, think like middle-class Zsa Gabor, if you nice. will. 
And now Michael's parents divorced when he was four, and he and his brother were primarily raised by his mom. And just based Let's on face the- it, kids in the nineties, they were primarily raised by the TV and the latchkey <laughs> around their necks. That is not untrue. That well, like the yeah. rest of us, indeed. And so, um, so I watched a number of documentaries on this and read a bunch of things. And just the clips that I've seen of his mom Elka when she was interviewed, like on talk shows. And things that were really popular for kids to go on and, you know, look at the club kids kind of thing. I would say that Michael was definitely encouraged by his mom and supported in being a fabulous walking work of debauched degenerate art. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I think she was really proud of him being this kind of leader of the pack and theatrical. I don't think she was like, yes, you should totally take drugs. So I'm not like it's her fault or anything like that. But I would say that he definitely kind of had mom's support in doing what he did. So, yeah. Except for the murder part. Except for the murder part. Yeah, I don't think anybody's like, you should totally do that part. So, you know, nice Midwestern boy. He moves to New York City, as many do, in order to seek a more exciting kind of artsy way of living. And so let me set the scene that young Master Alec is walking into when he arrives there to attend Fordham University in the fall of 1984. So this was the era when downtown clubbing was king. It was just post the kind of disco fabulous days of Studio 54, but it was still in kind of the ebbing thrall of Andy Warhol and his posse of celebutants. And those celebutants included people like Diane Brill, who I mentioned, a.k.a. the Queen of the Night, Weirdly enough, Lisa Edelstein, who later went on to play Dr. House's nemesis, Dr. Cuddy, and the great and glorious James St. James, who eventually became best frenemies with Michael. That's interesting. Yes. So James was, was way ahead of Michael on this path to nightlife glory. Having kind of a parallel life, he also fled the less than glamorous flyover country, if you will, for the glitz and glamour of New York City and reinvented himself. He was chummy with the Village Voice columnist Michael Musto, who was the reporter on the downtown nightlife scene of this era. Uh, And I sort of think of these celebutants and kings and queens of the club scene as a precursor in many ways to people like Paris Hilton or the Kardashians, who were essentially famous for being famous and showing up at cool parties. But there was this distinction, I would say, that the 80s and 90s celebutants and club kids, they weren't necessarily rich. They were definitely masters of style and charisma, but without necessarily being the scions of the landed gentry, if you will. And it's from James St. James that most of my info really has been kind of scraped and gleaned. He wrote the excellent memoir of his time in the club kid scene and in the orbit of Michael Alleg, Party Monster, whose even more original, fabulous title was Disco Bloodbath. I love that. <laughs> and his, cool. yeah, it's, I, I love the original title. But the book went on to inspire a shockumentary by filmmakers Randy Barbato and Fenton Bailey, who were also part of that scene. And they went on to be the founders of World of Wonder, the production company behind RuPaul's Drag Race. And Mama Ru herself was a well-known club kid associate of the day. That is true. Yeah. And then the shockumentary and the book also begat a fictionalized version of the story, also called Party Monster, which I totally recommend. It's just a really good, bad time at the movies. Like, it's really enjoyable and seamy and horrible, and I love it. And it has, you know, 
it's just it's great. I definitely it's got Macaulay Culkin as Michael Alec. Yep, you know, I've seen it. It is really good. Seth Green as James St. James, and mm-hmm. I mean, I God bless a debauched ginger. That's all I can say. But <laughs> it's yeah, I recommend it. It's an it's a good movie for these times. Is what I'm saying. And the premier nightclubs of that period weren't just like dark rooms with a disco ball, sticky floors, DJ playing, canned dance remixes, and a bunch of watered-down shitty drinks. They were glorious neon palaces, like Danceteria, with like multiple floors all showcasing a different party scene. So like Danceteria featured acts like Madonna, New Order, Duran Duran, Billy Idol, Cindy Lauper, Sade, Wham, Run DMC, Depeche Mode. I mean, pretty much you name it. If they were cool new waivers in the 80s, they were going to play at Danceteria. Hell, Danceteria was even one of the filming locations for Desperately Seeking Susan, Madonna's first film. It was cool with a capital C. And it was where Michael Alec got his first taste of the nightlife by becoming a busboy there at the suggestion and introduction of his classmate, who happened to be the boyfriend at the time of Keith Haring. So, yeah, he really just plugged himself right there into the scene. And within a few years of moving into that scene, Michael was starting to throw his own parties and theme nights at the Limelight a now infamous club run by impresario Peter Gachin, a fascinating and kind of shady figure in his own right. So Gachin used the money from a settlement from a baseball-related accident in which he lost an eye, so he's wearing this cool eye patch, not so much fashion as he's missing an eyeball, Uh, and he used this money to start a rock club in his native Ontario, and then he bought this failing nightclub in Florida, which had the poetic name Rum Bottoms, uh, that became the That's first incarnation. Rum Bottoms, yes. I wonder why that failed. How could a business uh, that, yeah. With with a name like that, it was only meant to Rum succeed. Rum Bottoms, right? Mm. So that became the first incarnation of the Limelight. He then moved the club to Atlanta into a strip mall next to a grocery store that poetically became known as Disco Kroger. Disco Kroger. Uh, and Gation then... We, uh, we, should, we should share with people who are not from the Pacific Northwest. We have a grocery store here called Kroger. We do. Kro- well, it's, Kroger's Kroger. from the South a lot, too. Yes, Kroger is from the South. And Kroger brand is the discount brand. Yeah, it's, I mean. What I'm hearing here is discount disco. (laughs) Yeah, disco. So, you know, again, he actually kind of built up the limelight a little bit down there. But it's still, Atlanta was not Hotlanta. You know, this was Atlanta in the 80s. So, strip mall, Atlanta, 80s, not so much super fabulous. Gation then was like, you know, I gotta go big or go home. So he decamped for New York in 1983 and left his brother in charge of Disco Kroger. And he opened a second location in Manhattan inside a former uh, decommissioned, deconsecrated Episcopal church on the Avenue of the Americas and West 20th Street. And though other See, branches that's of the club. my kind of jam right there. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. That is yeah. my kind of jam. You yes. don't want Disco Kroger. You want no. Disco Jesus. Yes, you yes. do. Yes. And take yeah. me home, Jeebus. I'm here for that. Two turntables and a crucifix. Yeah, that's what you want. But yep. um, other branches of the club 
later opened in Chicago and London, but it was the New York version that truly became like the legend. And it's that is the setting for our story here. So, I mean, I know most people, given a time machine, would use it to, you know, go back in time and, I don't know, assassinate Hitler or, like, give Fred Trump Sr. a vasectomy with a rusty crochet hook. But I personally, I would use it to shamelessly club hop. Yes, I would. I don't want to save millions. I just want to get my boogie on. I would go back to the uh, World's Fair and check that out because Um, Chicago's World's Fair, I want to see that. I, I know what you want to see at the Chicago World's Fair. I know what you do. Mm-hmm. No, really. Like, homes aside, at which, no, by the way, be- hey, hey, next episode, guys. Homes is our homie next episode. I'm breaking down homes for you. Nice. Uh, but no, uh, really, I just, I would love to see the Ferris wheel. Um, yeah, I would love to see the electric building. I, yeah, that would, I would go and I would hang out at the fair. See, neither of us are like, let's save millions. We're like, let's go see a cool thing. That's why we're not in charge of things. Yeah, well, I am in charge of things, unfortunately. I'm not in charge of, I mean, I'm in charge of my things, but, you know, the only person Uh, that I answer to is me. (laughs) Uh, um, I mean, yeah. But again, if you were going to go back in time and you were going to go clubbing, this is the club to go clubbing at. To make an SNL reference, this club has everything. <laughs> so, no, if you were a happening artist in the 80s and early 90s, you performed at the Limelight. Literally, everyone from Grace Jones to Jesus Jones played it. Millie Vanilli to Marilyn Manson. It was the Nippu Ultra of nightlife decadence. And they let Michael Alec have the basement sometimes. Uh, Alec would go on to also... Get in the also... basement, Alec. Oh, get in the basement. Get... In which he flooded at one point uh, by... Like fucking Caesar. Yeah, he flooded it. (laughs) I mean, let's just say Alec was not somebody... He had a real flair for the dramatic, but not for the practical or who's going to clean this up, you know? Okay. Yeah. And Alec would go on to also host parties at Tunnel, which was another of Gation's clubs, and also a place that I would totally have given a non-essential organ to, pl- to party in at least once back in the day. So let me just say that the fictional Patrick Bateman from the book and film American Psycho was written as enjoying partying at Tunnel. It was debauched, debauched. And a side note, if you would like to see what Tunnel looked like circa 1987 in its heyday, check out the truly, truly awful turkey film that and Nick Cage vehicle, Vampire's Kiss. The club scene that is in it was actually just shot there. And I just assume that it was just a regular night. They didn't, you know, they just let people in there and they snuck some cameras. Uh, but yes, if you want to feel the feeling of Tunnel circa 1987, Vampire's Kiss is the movie for you. Um, uh, I'm actually looking up pictures right now. Yeah, of it it's something in 1987. Just because, oh, 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 hello, dyslexia. Yeah, that's not going to bring up the right number. That's not going to bring up the right year. 1978. No, it was not open in 78. But yeah, it. I mean, it. It was quite, quite the place. Oh so, wow! Yeah. It, I mean, and it's this old warehouse, and it, it looks like a freaking tunnel. Like, it's oh kind of amazing. It, it's so cool. And it was used for a number of movies, like backdrops and movies, as was Limelight and his other, and Palladium and his other 
um, clubs. So you can you can absolutely go online and check out, you know, on like YouTube and places like that footage of it. And there's been a number of people that uh, went on to become you know, photographers and fine artists who were there in the scene and took a lot of photos. So there's quite a few art installations and a book on tunnel and on club kids and limelight and things like that. So you can absolutely, you know, go online and check all of that out to get a, get a visual because this is, this really is something where I'm, I'm sorry that we're an audio medium for, because you got to see this shit, you know, it, this is pretty cool. This is pretty cool. And I, okay. Agreement. Once time travel technology is invented, when you go back to Club Hop, I'll go with you, but you got to come with me to uh, the World's Fair. Oh, I will totally go to the World's Fair. Okay, fair. Absolutely. Fair. Our our next vacation is planned because it's I don't in see time. Us taking it anywhere in the future. No. I'm soon. No. <laughs> no, we're not going. No, you are not going anywhere. At least not yeah. till maybe 2022. Fingers crossed. But so, yes, Alec became the candy-colored ringleader of a giant tribe of 24-hour party people known as the Club Kids through both his long-running party night called Disco 2000 at Tunnel and the Limelight, but also via outlaw parties that were sort of like a cross between like an unauthorized underground rave and a blitz attack on an unsuspecting Burger King by gorillas dressed like guar, high out of their goddamn minds on a variety of controlled substances. Yep. Would I have liked to have attended one of these events? Yes. Absolutely. Yes, it I absolutely the would. First flash dance yes. with no organizational dancing. Yes, yes, I would. Now, would I have liked to have been the innocent minimum wage worker running the till, or worse still, closing that night? No, no, no the fuck I would not. That would be nightmarish. So Alec thrived on the wild behavior of his crowd, instigating trouble by pulling stunts like throwing $100 bills onto the crowded dance floors just to watch people like freak out and scramble and punch each other for them. He also loved to pee on people and into people's drinks. He liked to pretend to fall into people and knock them over. He also, at first, did a lot of this shit fairly sober. Drugs were always a part of the scene, and nightclubbing in general, and initially he would mostly kind of pretend to be really fucked up so as to engage in wilder and wilder behavior and have it shrugged off as him being under the influence. But, you know, a little tiny pretend bump here, a minor toot there, and eventually he was actually deep in the throes of serious addiction. Let me also just say, I am not going to shame anyone for getting lost in addiction. Nobody's a dirty junkie. Like, that sucks. That shit is tough. That shit ruins lives. And God bless you for getting out of it, you know? But Yeah, seriously. I mean, everyone has their own demons. And what good are we doing by judging others and the battle that they're going through? Shit up. Everyone's fighting their own fight out there. And if you're fighting the battle of addiction and you're fighting it and you are doing everything you can, now, don't forget, there are hotlines out there to help you should you need somebody to talk to. There are, I'm sure you're getting help with uh, NA, but definitely reach out. And if you're not getting help and you want to reach out, there are so many different online services that can help you while we are locked in. And right now, especially after this year, it's oh, worse man. than ever. 
So Hell, no I'm drinking judging. vodka from a can right now. So I feel this is true. This is no? true. You were drinking vodka from a can that right. I bought you. Right. I am, I am you're, your enabler. You're my de- oh my God, you're my angel. No, but let's not go there. We'll get there later. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, there was, there were a lot of drugs happening and Michael was taking them. He went through rehab at least once during his time in the club kids. And even once we'll get to it later, but he has, while he was in jail, he still managed to get drugs and ended up in solitary for a long time because he just could not shake this shit. And, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not giving anybody, you know, if you're, if you're an addict, you already know this sucks ass, but you also know that it definitely leads people down paths that they might not have gone down sober. You know, it makes you do some shit that you sh- you would not do. And this is what led to some of the more memorable and dark aspects of this story and this scene. So let me introduce some of the dramatis personae in the club kids scene, and also then take a moment to address the various substances they were snorting, shooting, and or smoking. First, drugs and seriously antisocial behaviors aside, being a club kid was kind of awesome. I mean, it was a nonstop party, an art party, where you were free to be whatever weird-ass, sparkle pants, gender nonconforming, disco cryptid you felt yourself to be inside. You could try on all of these outfits and personas and ways of living to kind of find yourself. This I would wild... 100% have been there for that. Yes! I love that. I love doing that now. Right! The art project part of it, fantastic. This wild, dark creativity of the outfits, it was legendary. I mean, so many of the looks that you see on shows today, like Drag Race or especially Mm -hmm. Dragula, in my opinion, the Mm -hmm. best and greatest of the drag series, were directly influenced by the club kid looks of the 80s and 90s. And it didn't have to cost you a fortune. No, no. No. In fact, they couldn't afford a fortune. These are people who were ballers on a budget. Right? A lot of these were students by day. You know, they were living, they they had kind of low incomes or like, you know, kind low of low, low status jobs. And you, you know, if, did you have a, do you have a sewing machine and a glue gun? You can be a club kid. Like you did not have to, it didn't have to be couture. It didn't have to be a big label. It was the crazy shit that you whipped up in your tiny six floor walk up with your four roommates. Right? Yep. And it was outrageous and campy and gross and freaky. It was drag, filth, horror, glamour. It was awesome. And it made for excellent TV back in the day. So for any of you youthful, young, like Gen Z types listening to my elderly ass on this podcast, do, do young people listen to podcasts? Do they? Is it TikTok? Is that what they do? Is TikTok um, cool? Is that a thing? I don't know. I'm old. So you know that I TikTok as I know. well as do the podcast. So I'm going to go with yes, but no one listens to me. So okay, yeah. I mean, I I use medieval technology in my daily life, so I I could not tell you. But anyway, for people that don't remember this time, either because they are very young or because you know they were doing club kid drugs back in the days before reality TV as we know it in this millennium, daytime talk shows were king. And by talk shows, I mean mostly yelling shows. 
So people, (laughs) pretty much, it was screaming, an opportunity to scream at people. So people like, uh, hosts like Donahue, Sally Jesse Raphael, Ricky Lake, Jerry Springer, that was the most infamous, or Jenny Jones. Now, Jenny Jones has an interesting murder kind of crime thing that happened on her show that maybe we'll talk about one day. But all of these kind of hosts, they would have wild and outre people on their shows so that the studio audience, who'd basically been bussed in from, like, Connecticut or the suburbs could gawk and wheeze at these people, right? This is true. Now we call that uh, Fox News and politics. There you go. But now I highly recommend uh, going on to the YouTube, if again, you can do the YouTube, uh, to look up, just type in Club Kids and Donahue or Club Kids talk shows and just check them out because, you know, these were all recorded for daytime TV and you can see you can see the real club kids and you can kind of see how they were treated and, and hear them in their own words. Right. And uh, you know, they crawled so Lady Gaga could fly like precisely. Yes. She's called mother Rue for a reason to those of you who do not know this culture. I mean, seriously take, take some time to learn it because it's, fascinating and they were groundbreakers pioneers in this area where weird asses like me could walk down the street in shiny pants and platforms and people wouldn't look at it sideways yeah it it really i mean there were a lot of positives to this honestly this isn't just all seamy horror i promise you and you know the club kids themselves they were all fascinating self-creations for instance, there was superstar DJ Kiyoki, who was Alex's on again and off again boyfriend for many years, and he went on to to like enormous fame in the EDM genre back in the day when we called it electronica, right? Mm-hmm. Jenny Talia, she had this shaved head and kind of you know, almost kind of like a rioty girl kind of baby doll fashion thing. She had this big wide-eyed stare and she was a like a baby teenager when this was all going on and she ended up being flown out to Paris to walk the fashion runway for a while. And then, and this is this part where I'm like, Oh man, this is so awesome. She then later kind of gave that all up and went on to become the associate director of the lower East side girls club, which helps underserved girls and teens. And like, just the work she's done has been amazing. Right. That's, that's great. Yeah. RuPaul, Glamazon Empire founder and unfortunate fracking enthusiast. Mm. Um, Richie Rich, who went on to found the fashion label Heatherette, which was really popular in the early 2000s, like Paris Hilton and so on. Just love this dude. Excuse me. My cat is trying to eat. Could you not eat that? Get that doesn't go in your mouth. Excuse me. My cat is trying to eat a thing that is not food. Sorry. Um, and then Walt Paper also known as Walt Cassidy, his real name, who went on to be a very successful visual artist. Uh, The fabulous James St. James, who I mentioned earlier, who chronicled the club kids. And he's also gone on to write young adult fiction. Uh, Movies have been made out of both the books that he's done. And he also happens to be uh, the at the helm of one of my favorite YouTube shows, Transformations. Welcome to my face. This is James St. James, where he has all these different makeup artists come on and turn him into these fabulous creations. So absolutely check out Transformations if you just want to have like a very fun YouTube rabbit hole to go down to in a very unglamorous time in our lives. And then, of course, there was Robert Freeze Riggs, who 
uh, you know what, we're going to get to him in a minute. And then there were also a number of club kids who never grew up to become, I don't know, club adults because drug addiction and, uh, well, misadventure got them and they died. People like Gitsy, who passed from an overdose, or Angel Melendez, who we're about to, about to talk about, or eventually even their king, Michael Alleg himself. So let's talk about those drugs, shall we? It was drugs that eventually brought down Peter Gation's club empire. Although he himself was acquitted of charges, the huge legal bills he incurred fighting them led him to do some things like, you know, a little tax evasion. And he was eventually, yeah, you can't do that. You know, even the Joker won't evade the IRS. Yeah, they scare me. Because, I mean, it's the IRS. No, they took down Capone. Yeah, the only things certain in life, death and taxes. Mm -hmm. And in fact, this even led him to eventually be deported back to Canada. So there's that. And um, like he's like the most naughty Canadian. And it was like drugs like cocaine. I think there are a couple serial killers that take that title. Yeah, There are a lot of... You know what? There's a lot of assholes in Canada. I'm going to take a stand, a controversial stand. Canada, you're full of assholes too. Yeah. (gasps) Pretty much. I know. I know. I said it. God, pandemic's making me crazy. Uh, but it was drugs like cocaine. I never thought I'd hear you say right. that, though. I'm sorry. It's the world has turned purple. It has gone upside down. I, I'm of the everyone's an asshole uh, bent right now. I yeah yeah I've yeah. I've been there for fucking forever. Okay, please continue. Oh sure, but it was drugs like cocaine, rohypnol, ecstasy, heroin, and especially our friend Ketamine, or Special K, that fueled much of the all-night parties. So let me just hop on the tangent bus for a second to tell you yet another of my personal Ketamine connections. I mean, who knew? I didn't really realize until just now that I I had so many. Um, So, yeah. (laughs) I was about to say, how many do you have? Uh, Several. It impresses me when you start to look at your own history and you start finding these drug connections where you're like, wow, that's... That's, That's a, a thing. disturbing amount. Yeah. yeah. Who knew? So ketamine is used, as we said earlier, medically as an anesthesia drug in people, or even more commonly, in veterinary medicine as an animal tranquilizer. It is a dissociative drug that allows you to fall into a trance-like state. Mm. And it is manufactured as an injectable liquid. But the most popular method for preparing it for recreational use is to bake it slowly at low heat in the oven to desiccate it into a film at the bottom of the of the oven pan. And then you can scrape that up into a powder and place it into small vials for inhalation in the form of little bumps that you huff off the side of your hand. I'm not telling you this because I do this. This is... Just watch the movie. You'll see. And it's also why my mom, also not a ketamine user in the sense of for herself, but rather in her job, she carried a little Derringer pistol in her purse from the time I could remember when I was a kid because she, as the um, office manager at the veterinary clinic, was often one of the last people to lock up and leave the vet clinic at night. And in addition to, you know, kind of feeling like she wanted a little security when she was taking the bank deposit to the night drop, vet clinics are also a super popular option for people looking to steal drugs and do a little burglary. Ketamine being one of the most sought after. 
because there's usually a little less security than you would find at a hospital or at a, a doctor's office, right? That's fascinating. Uh, and don't I've do never this. I've put a lot of thought into yeah. where to go and steal drugs from, but that is fascinating. I'm, and I'm not saying that anyone should do this. Please do leave the vet clinic alone, you assholes. Leave it alone. There's a great anecdote in the book and movie Party Monster about Michael Alleg and Gitsy kind of going on the run a little bit outside of New York uh, after kind of all the shit went down. And they needed to score drugs to deal with their withdrawals. And so they break into a veterinary clinic and they open up this big chest freezer that's in the back. And there's always a chest freezer in the back of a veterinary clinic. And it is not filled with ice cream. It is not. Or ketamine, for that matter. That shit's locked up in a safe with all kinds of sign-out sheets and other safety protocols around it because you will lose your fucking license if you don't do that. No. That freezer is full of dead animals waiting for necropsy or to be Mm -hmm. taken for cremation or other disposal after euthanasia or death, right? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Now, look, I don't want to creep anybody out, but they are they're very respectfully wrapped up in plastic. They're very tagged because this is a medical facility. And, you know, veterinarians care a shit ton about the animals they work on. These are these are patients, you know. Mm-hmm. But still, imagine being like strung out on the run and you open up what you hope was the magical ketamine leprechaun treasure chest and it's dead pets on ice. The worst ice capade show ever. Yeah, it's not lovely, but they utterly deserved it and apparently freaked out and just like fled out the back without even trying to find ketamine. So yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And why did they deserve to be freaked out like that? Well, because breaking into a fucking vet clinic, do you have any idea how much insurance costs on a clinic? But also because, well, Michael Alec was on the run because he murdered Angel Melendez. And Angel Melendez was... Well, well, I mean, I, I you alluded that he had something to do with this ketamine trade. He did indeed. So Angel Melendez, born Andre Melendez in 1971, but dubbed Angel as his club name because of his signature angel wings that he would wear to the club. He immigrated to New York City as a child with his family from Colombia. And he, I'm going to say allegedly, well, allegedly was a drug dealer who was a regular at the various Peter Gation establishments and supplied a lot of the club kids with their various letter of the day, little H, little E, maybe some K. He's like a hellish version of the Sesame Street, you know? And one fateful day on March 17th, 1996, he went to see Michael and his roommate, Robert Freeze Riggs, about getting paid for, you know, services rendered. And uh, shit got violent, as shit is wont to do when money and drugs are involved. And Michael and Angel got into a physical altercation. Now, here's where things get a little fuzzy. Again, as things are wont to do when drugs are involved. But the general gist of things is that Freeze grabbed a hammer that was lying around in the living room and hit Angel three times on his head, fracturing his skull. At this point, Angel was kind of knocked out, incapacitated, but still alive. Michael grabbed either a sweatshirt or a pillow, again, it's a little fuzzy, and began to smother him to get him to stop moaning and breathing. And when that didn't work, he decided to finish the job 
by pouring drain cleaner into Angel's open mouth and then wrapping it closed with duct tape. Freeze and Michael... the fucking worst way to die right there. Yeah, none of this is okay in any capacity. No. Um, We've gone well beyond self-defense into into murder. Yeah. Yeah. So Freeze and Michael then stripped Angel's body, carried it into their bathroom, and placed it in the bathtub and pulled the curtain shut. The body remained in there for five to seven days. Meanwhile, That's a long time that, for a body to be in a bathtub. A long, in, smelly, yeah. grody time. Yeah. Meanwhile, they appropriated all of Angel's drugs and his cash that was in his backpack. And they even threw a small gathering, a little party, a get-together in the apartment there? while his body just kind of was hanging out in the bathtub getting funky. Yeah. No. Yeah, drugs don't really lead you to make good decisions, do they? They don't. No. No. They locked the bathroom door and pretty much explained away the smell as uh, sewer problems. Sewer problems. But eventually they decided they had to do something about their little angel in the bathroom. And Freeze went off to Macy's to buy a couple chef's knives and a cleaver so that Michael could get insanely high and then hack Angel's legs off so his body could be fit into a giant cardboard box. So you have been around enough dead animals growing up in a vet family and Mm -hmm. on the farm. You know what the smell of detomps. I sure do. So do I, because I was a paramedic. You can't explain that away by anything. Look, I don't feel like the people coming to the big heroin party were making great life decisions or gave a shit. Fair, fair. You know, I'm, I'm just saying, I don't know that these are these are people making solid life choices right now. Any of so them. So what you're telling me is heroin party uh, aficionados are not life choice um, gurus? I would say don't take advice from them, no. Yeah, don't, yeah. Don't do that. So, you know, you know, get the 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 cutlery from from Macy's. I kind of love and am horrified by that detail. Macy's, your place for dismemberment. And um, Michael yeah, basically, really, how much did they have to pay to put that one in the ad? <laughs> oh God, yeah. I don't. I don't know that you really want to Macy's. It's the place for dismemberment. Yeah. But so Michael takes his legs off, and they wrap the legs up each separately into garbage bags and then put them into duffel bags and they're able to take them, I don't know, on the bus, I guess, the subway. They take them down to the Hudson River and throw them in. Then the torso and the rest of his body in the cardboard box, which is also, again, wrapped in a sheet and wrapped in plastic, it's too big for this kind of easy disposal on public transit. So the enterprising young lads haul it down in the building's elevator through the goddamn lobby and out into the trunk of a waiting yellow cab that serendipitously just happened to be parked right outside the door. And the cab driver drops off Freeze and Michael and the remains of Angel in his little cardboard coffin by the waterfront, and the boys push the box into the river. So, they think they're in the clear. Did they have nothing to weight it down with? Did they just think, oh, this'll be fun. This'll do Again! What did I say about heroin making you real bad at good life choices? And better, even better still, the box, the big cardboard box, had cork lining in it. 
Oh, sweet Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, these are not, again, these are not smooth criminals, my friend. So this box bobs along in the water for a few weeks and eventually washes up onto the beach at Miller Field, thanks in part to a tropical storm. And on this beach, because this story isn't awful enough, its gruesome contents were discovered by... Children. You are correct! Of course! Of course. It's always children. It's always children. Because adults are like, I ain't looking in that fucking box. I'm minding my business. Yep. Yep. So, for some time after the discovery, the police didn't really do much to investigate because they were like, eh, it's probably a drug dealer, whatever. And, you know, his his family called and was like, dude, our, our son is missing. What's going on? The police were like, eh, nobody really cared. But pressure from Angel's brother and a blind item. Now, here's where you're going to like yellow journalism for once. Published by Michael Musto, who I mentioned before as the journalist who covered downtown. Uh, so in the Village Voice, he published a rumor has it kind of item that spoke about the idea that Freeze and Michael were responsible for the disappearance of Angel Melendez. And this finally spurred the cops to give a shit and properly investigate. Oh, I'm sorry. The same cops that didn't give a shit about, oh, I don't know, Sid Vicious probably not killing Nancy, that there was a knife left. Never mind. Yeah, I mean, you know, defund the cops is not a new thought, is what I'm trying to say to you here. So, you know, but it wasn't until November. I mean, this all happened in March, remember, but it wasn't until November that the body was actually identified they had found floating in the in the river, you know, in the spring. They actually identified it as being Angel Melendez. And in the meantime, over that about six months time period, Michael kind of first pretended nothing had happened, really. And in fact, even joked about, oh, I must have killed Angel when he was just disappeared, right? And as people started going, um, uh, er, at him... He did leave New York, as I alluded to earlier, for a few weeks with Gitsy and some of his friends, but he finally returned to the city because he really couldn't make it outside of that that kind of subculture, right? Yeah. And after his body, Angel's body, was positively identified, he fled with his boyfriend at the time to a hotel in New Jersey, where he later was arrested on December 5th. While at the same time, his roommate Freeze, who was also his accomplice in this, was taken into custody at that same time. And Michael and Freeze then both took a plea deal to plead guilty to manslaughter, even though it was kind of murder, just yeah. to, you know, save the problem of a, of a trial. And they were each sentenced to 10 to 20 years in prison. Now, Robert Freeze Riggs was released on parole in 2010. And here's actually kind of a positive thing. He actually has gone on to really turn his life around. He studied anthropology while he was incarcerated, and he went on to become an associate with the Bard Prison, Prison Initiative, which helps um, prisoners in uh, basically earn college degrees. And he was also accepted as a PhD student in sociology at NYU and received a five-year Henry McCracken Fellowship. So he's definitely turned his life around, you know, trying to give back to for what he did. Well, that's good. Yeah. I mean, he committed murder, though, so I can't get behind him. I mean, I just can't. I, I, I'm kind of like, look, I, I, 
I do, I have to believe in redemption. Otherwise, anybody that does anything bad, we ought to just kill. And I don't think that anybody's like, let's do that. You know, I feel like he's trying to make up for what he did. And so... I I believe in redemption. I believe that he is working towards the better and trying to make better decisions and a better contribution in life. And yeah. hey, that's great. I'm still not going to get behind him because... Eh, he got high on heroin and murdered a guy. Well, he... And I feel, remembered him. Yeah, yeah, I mean, none of that's great, but I do have to say, like, I feel like in general, many of the people who did, who were club kids and who did kind of get into this crazy scene have gone on to to kind of have have good lives or, or lives that are, are, are redemptive, are, are socially redeeming after all of this. So you that's something. You can say that about my friends from high school, too. There you if go. one of them murdered somebody, though, I, I I don't think I could be friends with them anymore. Well, I'm not saying I, you got to yeah. go hang out with Robert Freeze Riggs, but I am saying that, like, I am glad that it, it, it makes me feel good that it's not just like, and then he went on to do more crimes or die in a gutter. Yeah. He was like, look, man, I, I know I, what I did a bad thing, and I am into studying prison-related things and helping people turn their lives around. So, you know, it, it, I fair. feel like the karmic scales are getting more balanced. How about that? Fair, fair. fair. And this this will make you feel better, though, since you like to, yes, you'll like this ending, I maybe. Or I don't know. I don't think anybody wins here. Michael Alleg was released from prison on May 5th, 2014, and as I alluded to earlier, died last year on December 25th, 2020, of an accidental heroin overdose. Surprising pretty yeah. pretty much no one. Yeah. Yeah, he he really just kept on keeping on. When he got out, like he worked as a promoter yep. to promote uh clubs and I think there was this one, if I remember correctly, that booked him in Texas and people were so upset that he was coming and that they had booked him to do this that they canceled it like his he yeah trying to go back into that life and live that life because that's what he knew knew and loved and they were like yeah no man you killed somebody yep you're not welcome back so instead of doing that 180 and really changing and reforming like 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 yeah he just kept on and died so. Yeah, if there's a moral of the story, it's like maybe not drugs, be creative, maybe but maybe not drugs. You know, or at least not the heavy drugs. The you know, little, little pot, a little 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 wine. Like, yeah, sure, in moderation. Get help if you feel like it's not moderation. You know, there is a, a one of my icons, uh, Kevin Smith. He has a saying that I really respect. Now, mind you, Kevin Smith, some of the people he's hung out with, his his closest friends have had severe addiction issues. I like what he says, though. Handle your high. If you can handle your high, if you can be a responsible human being, if you can let it not affect your other areas of life in a detrimental way, more power to you. You are a responsible fucking adult and you can handle your high. That's all I care about. I, don't I harm anyone else. Don't feel like that was Michael. No. And I will also say ketamine, when used properly, is not only a very useful drug for veterinary <laughs> medicine. Would I would know. For veterinary medicine, for, you know, for, for anesthesia. It's also being used in very controlled 
therapeutic settings now as a potential treatment for depression that doesn't respond to other medications like SSRIs. I you know? have heard about that. Yeah. So I, I've you know, heard that there is a clinic here in Seattle. Yes, there is. Where you can go and do ketamine for depression. Yes. Again, someone this is... told me about this, and I was like, "Are you telling me to go do ketamine for depression? Because that's what I'm hearing right now, and I don't know if I'm okay with what? this." And again, not because not because of any judgment I'm passing on anyone, just because. I don't think I need ketamine in my life. I'm good. <laughs> no, I mean, but I, you know, I just think it's very interesting that that you know they're starting to look at psychedelics when used yes. in, in in controlled therapeutic doses and settings yes. as a means to help people with existential issues like depression, anxiety, and so on. And you know, well, and things like at, uh, MDMA, sure, and things like that for years. Psilocybin, now, exactly. LSD was originally mm-hmm. used in that kind of a setting. So I'm not saying no drugs ever. You can't even have coffee, you jerks. I'm just saying like maybe understand your context. There you exactly. go. Exactly. Understand your, your context. Yeah. Handle your high. Anything, look at it like this. Laws are laws because we put them into place. We looked at that thing and said, that's bad. That's illegal. Really look at the history behind it and why somebody did that. Because usually there is a corporate level based decision behind that. What I'm saying is handle your fucking high and be a responsible adult. Don't kill a guy who's just out there with angel wings doing his thing. Even though, again... He was selling those drugs, so uh, it's kind of... I'm not saying drug dealers deserve to be beaten to death with a hammer. No, no, no. Beat no one. Hit no one with a hammer. Hit nails, not people. But, you know, like, just maybe... Maybe hugs, not drugs. That's what I'm saying. Hugs, not drugs. drugs. Yeah. Fair. Hugs, not drugs. And that is my sordid, creepy tale of the disco bloodbath of the Club Kid murder. I love it. Thank you. And now I really want to go and watch Jenny Jones. God damn it. God damn it. Oh, Jenny. Why did you leave us in this in our, our time of need? That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, next time I will be bringing you the, the twisted and oh, so, so sordid tale of H.H. Holmes. Your Guys, homie I Holmes. Say, I've, I, I know a lot about H.H. Jones. <laughs> now, I know a lot about ketamine, apparently. Um, apparently. Yeah. Um, but in this research, so I decided, hey, I'm just going to do a crash reboot and just reread through a bunch of things and read some new stuff. There's a book that came out, I want to say at the end of uh, 2019, that I read for this. And it is the most in-depth study of H.H. Holmes I've ever heard of anyone doing and it taught me things it was fascinating fascinating so I cannot wait to bring you this tale the next excellent. time mm-hmm. excellent yeah yeah changed my my whole outlook on Holmes and I I had a very in-depth outlook <laughs> so yeah oh were there and- recipes Oh, never mind. That's a different story. <laughs> different story. Different story. Anyway, I guess on that note. Hey, we had recipes in this episode. It was just how to make ketamine, <laughs> I guess. Please.
please don't. Don't do that, by the way. Do don't not make ketamine. ketamine. Do not break into veterinary clinics. Do not snort ketamine up your nose. Do not murder people. Do not do not do the Drano and duct tape. Please do not. None of what we talked about should you do, except maybe dressing up really cool and like dancing around to the fab tunes of DJ Kiyoki. But other than that, don't do that. Yeah. Pretty yeah, much. seriously, don't do those things because no one no one wants you to do those things. No. That, no. no none of us do. That's no way, no. Just dance around in costumes. Sure. Have fun making the costumes. Like, do fun things like that. Let your freak flag fly. Be weird. Be you. We love you. Just make it through. Just keep on powering through. And if you need it, call NA because we Cause yeah. Yeah, not. Yeah. yeah. Es no bueno. On that note, remember, take care of each other. And you might be you... disturbed, but you're not on Jenny Jones. And you're not alone. Thank you for listening, friends. Remember, if you would like to reach out to us, you can find us on Facebook at the Disturbing Interest Podcast, Twitter at podcast underscore DI. Instagram at DI Podcast. You can find us online at disturbinginterest.com or you can email us at disturbinginterest at gmail.com. Our P.O. box is 70515 Seattle, Washington 98127. Remember to rate, like, and tell your friends and we'll talk at you soon.